0: Good morning, it's good to see you again and to fellowship together around the Word of God. For a scripture this morning, I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And we'll look at verses 28 and 29 as we finish up this chapter. Colossians is a church, obviously, in a place close to Laodicea, close to Ephesus in the Lycus River Valley, and Paul had never been to Colossae. The church started out of the enthusiasm for the Word of God that was in Ephesus. And so obviously the church grew, and it's a sister church to Ephesus, and also to Laodicea. And then from beginning with verse 20, uh, 26 up there, we have been beginning with Paul's message to this church he tells them that he has had the revelation of mystery that mystery is this that jews and gentiles are in one church in one body and there's no distinction so sometimes when we say christian jew that's a misnomer anybody that places their faith and trust in jesus christ jew or gentile is a believer is a christian And so we are all in the body of Christ. That was not true in the Old Testament. That is not gonna be true in the kingdom. There's gonna be a separation to some extent. But in the church age, we are all in one body, in Christ. And so he gave us the content of the ministry back in verse 27, he talked about its content. And this morning, we wanna look at the means of the ministry in verse 28 and end up with the goal of the ministry in verse 29. And so Paul starts out and he says to them, and telling them about his ministry, we proclaim him. Now this is a solemn proclamation. It is a word that means to announce and it has a preposition affixed to it which makes this word even more intense. Paul is saying that we need to proclaim Christ and the hope that we have in him. Now this proclamation is a didactic pronouncement, a declaration, a broadcast. If you look it up in a Greek dictionary, it will tell you it's one of a herald. Hear ye, hear ye, I've got something to say. It's, it would be transported into our language in preaching. The verb is not so much concerned about the content of what is said, but how or the manner in which it is delivered. People might say today, you know, what we need is less preaching and more narratives, more debates, more discussions, and, uh, what, and what about the reason for proclamation? We little a little less preaching, more discussion, more narrative, and you're hearing that in churches today. Let's talk about it. Let's even show a film or two and then let's shut down the church and let's discuss the film rather than the word of God. The people might not realize how important preaching is. Now in Colossians chapter 1, or 1 Corinthians 1.18 it says, the foolishness of preaching. And it's not talking about the fact that preaching is foolishness. It's talking about biblical preaching is foolishness to the world. But preaching is a very uh, important way of getting a message across. How do you think Hitler rose to power? He was a great orator. How do you think some of the men who became president of the United States came into power? They were great orators. They could really speak and get their message across. So the actual proclamation is not foolishness, but to the world, what's foolish is the message that Jesus Christ came to die and that we're all sinners. The first reason why preaching is important is that God is not to be discussed or debated. Why? God is who he is and what he is, and that's it. I don't think you could go out here this morning and somebody say to you, I don't believe there is a sun. And you'd say, what? I don't believe the sun exists. Now what are you gonna tell him? That it's 93 million miles away from the earth? It takes eight and a half minutes for light to get here from the sun, traveling at 186,000 miles per second? Are you gonna tell him that the sun is really a star, a medium star in our universe? Are you gonna get into a debate with him over the fact that it's 100 times larger than the earth? Or are you just gonna say, look at the sun? Take a look at the sun, it's there. And so when we're talking about with people who want to argue with us over whether there's really a God or really a, a Jesus Christ, the idea is that we don't get into debates with them. we proclaim him, it's true. He is the Savior whether you believe it or not, doesn't change a thing. You tell him he's a savior and rely on the power of God's word. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It even divides the thoughts and, and intents of the heart. Give him the word. Tell him the word. The unbeliever does not believe him to be so but that does not change a thing about God. Doesn't change a thing. In fact, turn with me to Exodus chapter three, verse one. Exodus chapter three, verse one. Where we have Moses being confronted with the burning bush. In chapter three of Exodus, second book of the Bible, Verse one we read, now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God is always approached in the Bible in a reverent and godly fear, never casually. We're coming to a God. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, a part of them. Seeing that we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I think we've lost that. In 2023 and following years, so I think we've lost the fact that God is a holy God and we're to come reverently with Him in awesomeness, with reverence and awe. He is a holy God. He's not to be argued, He's not to be debated, He's to be proclaimed. He is God. Somebody denies it, you just stay right at it. You know, you have an advantage to some extent because Romans 1 tells us that intuitively people believe in God. Uh, Everybody in the world has, they're worshiping some kind of a God except somebody who's been trained an atheist. You are not an atheist by birth. There's an intuitive sense within you that there is a God. Secondly, nature itself. Nature itself tells you that God exists. Somebody had to design this. Things just don't happen. You just don't throw a, a tornado come over a junkyard and create a 707. That doesn't happen. In fact, a tornado comes over a junkyard, it makes it even more junkier. Things have to be designed. And there is a designer and they know it. They've just suppressed the truth. And all you have to do is proclaim the truth and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. As you've been hearing in your Sunday school class, your adult Sunday school class, you can preach the word to them. You can't convince them. Your job is to be a witness and to tell them the truth. It's God the Holy Spirit's work and ministry to bring them to the truth. For he says in, in, another, in, in another way, the second reason for proclamation is that we are dealing with most serious issues of life, eternal life. We're looking at the truth because we're dealing with people who are going to hell. It's not just life here that's concerned, it's a life after death. And if they don't believe it, they're going to hell. It may be a relative, it may be a friend, it may be a neighbor, they're gone. Once they die, there needs to be a proclamation, hear ye, hear ye! life is short. That's the second reason. The matters at hand must not just be for today, therefore tomorrow, for eternity. Third reason for proclaiming the word of God is because of spiritual ignorance in the world, the natural man persons who are not Christians are not capable of discussing the word of God. They're ignorant. They're foolishness to them. Now there are are other avenues. You can preach in witnessing over the backyard fence, over a cup of coffee, or in your living room. You can talk about the Lord, but there needs to be a proclamation, a preaching in our churches. A message that is preached with intensity, with passion. With someone who loves the Lord and is passionate about the fact that we are preaching a message. that the world doesn't understand. Nor can they apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and 6. Here's what it says, in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to his image of God. A lot people say to me almost every week, why is it they don't get it? Why can't they get the truth? Why can't they see the truth? I'll tell you why. They're blind. The blind doesn't see the truth. They can't see the truth. Someone has to open their eyes. And that someone is God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. So when you witness talk to somebody or you talk to somebody about the Lord and they don't get it, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. And they're blind and they can't see at all the truth. And so here's what Paul says in verse 5 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus Christ. What are we preaching? Feed the poor? Educate the uneducated? Help the blind, lame? What are we preaching, politics? No, we have a message to preach, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on a cross for our sins. And also, his message to the church for us. For he says in verse 6, For God has said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the entire glory of God in the face of Christ. How in the world did we get it? I'm a sinner saved by grace. I grew up in a Christian home. But that didn't save me. I hadn't come to a personal realization that Jesus Christ alone could save. Fourthly, proclamation is necessary because it humbles mankind. It's humility. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Paul is in Athens. In Athens, it was the intellectual center of the world at that time. Uh, They would, my dad grew up, uh, we lived in California for a while when I was just a young kid. And they had a MacArthur's Park, not related to John MacArthur, General MacArthur was laying on. Had MacArthur's Park, and they had a debate stage up there and people, they called it the spit and argue club. And people would get up there and rant and rave about some particular theory they had, and the next guy would disagree, go spit spit on him, and he would take over until somebody spit on him. And they would argue, and they would debate. And that kind of thing was going on in Athens between the philosophers of the world. Guess what? This little old prophet gets up there, and here's what he says. He said to them, so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I observe you're very religious in all respect, an idol in every corner you look. And he said to them, For while I was passing through examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you. You don't even know who you worship. You have a God here in case we miss somebody. It's a humiliating message. Proclamation is to bring us to a point, to change our wills, to call us to attention. I grew up in a church where it was this. Preacher preached 20 minutes, and he said, I think, So, I hope so. Please, excuse me if I'm wrong, but I really don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I do have something to say. Uh, So-and-so said this, and -and so-and-so said that, and I walked out of there, even as a teenager, wondering what in the world did the guy say? And even then, I thought to myself, if I'm going to preach, and I'm going to teach. I don't want anybody walking out wondering what I believe. we got to proclaim the word. It's got to be there. Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligence, and you've revealed it to, t- to infants. It wasn't Jesus' objection or uh, object to take and preach the word of God so the intellectuals would hear. It was his job to preach the gospel, the truth. Furthermore, Paul said, not only do we we proclaim the word of God to you, we admonish every man. We admonish every man. The word there is a word that we have named for counseling, newthenic. Is a Greek word that uh, is a word which means to impart understanding, to set things right, to have a corrective influence on someone, to lay on the heart of someone. It's a word that proclamation is to be negative at times, to watch for false teachers and those who invade the church from the outside and the inside. Here's what Paul said to the church at Ephesus to the elders in Acts 29, or Acts 20 verses 28 and 30. He said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, and will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise teaching perverse things to draw away the disciples from them. That's a warning to the church. Not only will people from the outside try to change the doctrines of the church or preach something false, they'll also come from the inside out, from among you. Jude goes so far to say that they are feasting in your feasts. You need church leaders and you need church preachers who can detect this kind of thing and put an end to it as soon as it starts rather than tolerate it until it permeates the church. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Oh, that's not polite. Call it. Call it false teachers. Dogs? What's the deal here? Beware of evil workers, and beware of the false circumcision. Beware of this. Beware of people who do not take the Bible true. Beware of the people who pray down, who play down rather the whole gospel, who tone it down so that people will not be offended. So uh, I had a friend tell me in the church. He brought a friend to our church, and uh, after church was over, and he said to my friend, he said. There's too much hell and brimstone in this church. He's not coming back. My response is, oh, let's form a committee and see how we can tone it down, go visit this guy, maybe we can get him back. My opinion is, if there's too much hell and damn fire in the church, so it be it. We cannot, I don't have time to play around. And we don't have time to cater to all the philosophies of the world and tone them down in some way. We have to admonish We have to be truthful in this. And teaching every man with all wisdom is part of his message as well. Teaching or instructing every man to believe. That is the whole counsel of God. What is our goal at Countryside Bible Church? too twofold. We have not finished our work until we've evangelized everybody in the county, county, us. It doesn't mean we save everybody, but we make sure that everybody in the counties around us or where you live know the gospel. They know enough to reject it. Is that a good way to put it? They know enough to reject what Christ has done on the cross. But here he's concerned about another thing, that everyone come to complete maturity in the church. Take a look at Hebrews chapter five, verse 12 to 14. This is our job. So we have Bible studies for men, we have Bible studies for ladies, we have Bible studies for children, we have Bible studies. We preach the word on Sunday morning. We teach the Sunday school in our Bible classes. And we have we try to give every opportunity for people to get the word as it is given out as clear as we can instruct it. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, we read, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God and you have not come and you have come to need milk and not solid food the author of the book of Hebrews whoever he might be the author of the Hebrews said you had enough truth you've been listening under the truth long enough that you ought to be teachers you're not just sitting like bumps on a log in church You're not just sitting there taking nothing in or playing on your phone. You are not paying attention to what's going on. And evidently this has gone on for years. You ought to be needing not just milk but the solid food of the word. And you know what he's talking about in this context? Melchizedek. What do you know about Melchizedek here? If I were to say to you, tell me who Melchizedek is, could you tell me? Could you tell me the significance of Melchizedek? Where he appeared and why he appeared? What a short time he appeared in it? If you've been a Christian a few years, you ought to know. Really? You know what appalls me? Is the ignorance of believers. furthermore he goes on to say for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of God of righteousness for he is an infant but solid food is of nature or is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil do you catch that? It's not only intake of the Word, it's the practice of the Word. Who learns more, the student or the teacher in a Sunday school class? The teacher, why? Because he's studying the Word. Because he's in the Word. The student just takes a little gleam here and a little gleam here, and that's not true of all of you. Some of you have a serious bent to learn the word and to take the word in. In all wisdom, Paul and his companions never slighted the gospel in order to win the favor of men or to gain more converts. Okay, they're not listening to this. Let's change the method and let's not proclaim it anymore. Let's not be so blunt as to tell people you've got to be born again. Let's not tell people that if they don't accept the gospel, they're they're going to die in their sin and be judged by God in hell. Let's not talk about that anymore. That's offensive. Paul never did that. With all wisdom refers to the redemptive truth and the spiritual character that is found in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. We're coming to it. In him, that's in whom, Christ, are hidden. How many of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? All. What does all mean? All means all. That's all all means. Furthermore, all wisdom is found in Christ. It's in him. The more you know of Christ, and the more I know of Christ, the greater I understand what's happening in this world and I understand where people are coming. I understand where I can help people, where I can show them the truth. The more truth I know, the more and greater the broad scope of our ministry. In him, with all wisdom. You, you've read the Proverbs probably many times and it says what? The fear of the Lord is what? Beginning of wisdom. Yeah, the fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom. And somebody said there's how many chapters in the book of Proverbs? 31. If you read a Proverb a day, you'd read through whole Proverbs in a month. And you'd get filled with a lot of wisdom there, just in that alone. Just one verse a day. And you get through a month. Now September, you'd have to maybe someday read two. Are you in the Word? Let me challenge you to get in the Word every day. I find I used to, in my earlier life, do it at night. I'd read the Word of God at night. But the older I got, the more sleepy I got. So I switched to the morning. And before I go anywhere, I read the Word of God. If it means I've got to be at a 6.30 Bible study, I get up early and read the Word of God. If it means that I can sleep in late, i wait till 8 o'clock and read the Word of God. But I do it before I do anything else. And I encourage you, you don't have to do that. You just need to do it. And get yourself into the Word of God. And here's the purpose in verse 28 and following. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. My job, the elder's job, the deacon's job, your job as a Sunday school teacher, a want worker, a ladies' Bible teacher, a men's Bible teacher. You know what your goal is? To bring every one of your students to maturity, if your children, as far as they can go at five years old or seven years old or eight years old or teenagers. How do you do that? You pray for them. You take your students and you take daily and you put them before you and you pray for John and Susan. Every day. Every day. I come with a passion that I want to see every one of you grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior and come to maturity in Christ. And it's a real heartbreak when I see people taking this casually. It wears on And it really is a bummer when you see them fall off the cliff or hear about something in their life that is totally anti-Christian. What a heartbreak. In Colossians 2.10 it says, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. There's such a thing as spiritual maturity. And here's the deal about spiritual growth. You are either going ahead or you're going backwards. There's no neutral here. You may have walked with the Lord 10 years ago and really found him exciting and it may be a boring, dead subject to you now, tells you a lot where you are. You're out of sorts. You have let the devil and the flesh take what was once a joy to you and rip your heart out. Here's what James says in James 1.4. Let your endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete in lacking nothing. Your endurance. We talk about the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints has two sides of one coin. One side says you are saved forever when you're saved. The other side says you persevere. No trial you have or I have will ever be greater than we can bear. And when we endure through those trials, we grow and we become strong. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 6 and 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and 9. And keep your eye, we're going to go to Ephesians 4 later. But 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and 9. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood. They don't understand this. The rulers that rule over us, they don't have a clue unless they're a believer in Christ and I've seen very many that are. They don't have a clue. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood, for if they had understood, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. It makes no sense to them whatsoever. Go to Ephesians chapter four, verse 13 to 14. Here's the goal of the church again and stated in a different way by the same author. But here's what he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the maturity or the mature to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Why? As a result, we are no longer to become children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheme." Man, trickery of men? Now, last spring, something hit the Christian headlines like crazy, all the revivals going on. Remember that? Revival at Asbury, revival here, revival there, at all these colleges, revival going on. What do you hear about that now? I don't hear a thing. Have you seen a change in our national character? No. All these little schemes come jumping up at you. I watch uh, football games, or I thought I was yesterday. (laughs) And uh, all once this advertisement comes on, Jesus is real. What does that mean? You know what that means? I don't know what that means. Sometimes we say, trust Jesus. What is that? All these little things come in and cloud the thing. The Gospel is telling people they need to repent of their sin and place their faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord. And if that message is not clear, We're missing the boat. It's not half right. Three quarters right. It's got to be 100% right. If someone came to you this morning and said, tell me how to go to heaven. Could you do it? Would you stutter around and stumble around? Man, where's, where's the book that I learned this little thing in? Where's my little program? Now he says, Till we, as a result, we no longer be tripped here and there by doctrine. we can pick it up. Years ago, my wife was in, uh, I went to the bank right by our church, always went to that bank, and it was handy and everything else, and I cashed my check, and I'd give my wife a certain amount of money for groceries for the week, and she, it was up to her to spend it any way she wanted. She could save money on groceries, she could buy a trinket or she could buy something else and uh, I told her not to cheat on the groceries. So I gave her that amount of money. She goes to Kmart, the lady looks at the bill, says, wait a minute, marks the bill, and it was counterfeit. I'd never seen a counterfeit bill, so I was kind of interested to see one. Looks amazingly like the New Deal. So I just cashed that check at the bank, and they don't have to take it back, by the way, if you get counterfeit money. So I went back to the bank and I said, I was just in here and got this cash, and most of it is counterfeit. And she said, we're training our our tellers to be able to feel that money. When they slip money slips by them, they can feel whether it's really money, or they can see it's real money. So she gave me uh, my money and I had a friend who adopted a child from Russia and he had to take $25,000 in fresh bills. So he goes to a little town in Russia, he's going to buy one of the Russian dolls. You peel it off and there's another little doll in there. You peel it off and there's another little doll in there. I don't know what you call them, but uh, you, somebody you, you know more than I. I hardly can tag, tell Raggedy Ann from any other doll. But the point, of course, is she's in this little town and wants to buy one of these dolls. She's sitting at a table on a street. He gives her the bill, and she said it's phony. A Russian lady. You and I ought to know the truth so well that we hear a little thing and we say, uh, something phony about this. A little red light goes on in our mind, and pay attention to it. Whether I said it or anybody else says it, pay attention to it. Now, in verse 29, he gives us the dynamics of his ministry. For this purpose, I labor and striving, according to the power which mightily works in me. This phrase, "for this purpose," I also labor. I transliterated it. Translated from the original language. And it goes this way. Unto which also I am working tirelessly. To accomplish that every man and woman be complete in Christ. That evangelists, that we evangelize the area in which we live. You know what that takes? Work. It takes tireless work. It takes sacrifice. That's what it takes. It's not easy. It's not an easy work. I've sometimes been and taught Sunday school classes or preached and I thought as I walked out of there was anybody paying any attention? Why was all this hours of put into study, why was I even doing it? Why do I even get up at 6.30 in the morning and go have a Bible study? Why do I take my time and go talk to somebody and and why do I do this? When I used to sit on a stage before preaching and have the big chair and look like I came, I'd look at the audience and I'd say, why are they even here? Why am I doing this? You know, I'm doing this because I want to bring you to maturity. I want you to enjoy the Christian life. I want you to love the Lord. I want you to improve in your life. I want you to find the joy of grace. I want you to find the joy of having your sins forgiven. I want you to overcome the bitterness in your heart. I want you to overcome the doubts in your heart. That's why I do this. I'm possessed to do this. This is a tiresome and it's a wearisome work which is always difficult and it's discouraging at times. You put your life into someone, next thing you know they're off in La La Land. And at one time they were walking with you and next thing you know they're in La La Land. I met with a guy in Kansas City every week For about a couple years, one day he told me, he said, you know, Rod, I'm tired of eating and uh, I think I need somebody else's voice in my life. Left me, left the church. I'm getting my mail. And uh, here's a letter from uh, the jail. And I opened the letter, and here's the letter, Dear Rod, I need a lot of help. I'm being accused of molesting two of my adopted daughters. Lost his family, lost his real sons, lost everything. And he's still in imprisonment. I wrote to him for a while, tried to encourage him, and." Thank God for a church in Hutchinson, Grace Bible Church. They have a jail team. They're pretty good at it. A former jail uh, guard and overguard, over guards had a heart for the people, started a ministry in that church and to go into the, ch- uh, re- the prison in Hutchinson and minister to him. Last I heard, he was still going to Bible studies there. You say, well, that can't happen to me. I never thought it could happen to him. He knew the Word, and he knew it well. So there's more than just knowing it intellectually. Paul uses the word labor. It's a present active verb describing wearisome toil both as mental, physical, and spiritual. Aren't you disappointed when you're teaching a class and somebody you know flips Aren't you discouraged at that kind of thing? You think it's fun to go to somebody and say your marriage is falling apart, we're trying to help you? You think it's fun going to somebody's house where they don't want anything to do with the word of God think that's pleasant work? Hardly. I love to go to a house where they say, I love the Lord, and everything's just going great. God's answering prayer. Went through this trial, and God has been great. Man, I walk out of there encouraged. The next part of that verse says this. Striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. And literally, it's according to the working of him. The one who continually works in me in power. When you teach a Sunday school class or work with a wanna, you walk in here and say, God, help me to do my job. Give me energy, even if it's, my class is dead and they didn't learn their verses. Help me in this Sunday school class. Help me when I walk into this auditorium that I may know more about Christ and know about Him. The word power, which mightily works, are from the same word. There's two words here for energy. One's a noun, one's a verb. The fact that God provides energy, which is effective. And you can stand up before a church congregation or a class, and you can pour your heart out, and you don't see one inkling of anybody paying attention. But you know one thing. It's the word that that causes it. It's the Word that causes the energy. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. And you can walk out of there satisfied. But it takes work. You don't start your Sunday school lesson 10 o'clock Saturday night. You start it Monday morning. Monday evening. And you work your way through that lesson so that you know it and you can have a passion for God. The ministry to which we have been called is energized by the power of God to do what you need to do along with the wisdom you get from the word of God. May that be our goal. And may it start this morning in our communion service. We're going to have a communion service and say, oh man, this isn't the day for us to be here. It is the day for you to be here. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to take communion here. We'd love to have you do it. But if you're not a believer, don't don't fake it. God knows whether you are or not. Don't fake it before him because you'll you'll be accountable for it. It'll be one nail in your coffin, so to speak. But you can change that. You can bow your head and say, I repent of my sin. I believe Jesus Christ died for me and for my sin and he'll forgive me if I place my faith and trust in him. And I want to do that. I want to know that I'm right with God. And I'm taking this bread and I'm traking this cup to tell you and everybody observing that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And maybe you've been slacking off up till now. This is the morning to say, "I." This is the morning God's speaking to me. I'm changing. You tell God that, and this. And I don't care how many times you have to go back to Him. He always takes you back, doesn't He? No, he takes us back. And you know what? I'm so thankful for. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I'm so thankful that God forgave me of my sins and is forgiven me even now. Wow. That's something to get up and shout about. That's something to really get excited about. Let's do that in a communion service and let's stand for prayer and I'll ask the men to come and serve. I'll ask your brother, Jeff, to give thanks for the bread. Father, as we contemplate our own sin, our own depravity, we just thank you so much that you brought us to a place of repentance. What a gift it is to know our need for forgiveness. So we thank you, Father, for sending your son. We thank Jesus Christ for giving up his body that we can live eternally. In Jesus' name. Amen.